My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. We could achieve anything, anything, if we put the work in and we believed. That was very much her party line. As long as you put the work in and you believed, there was nothing that was off the cards at all. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with founder of the International Institute of Home Staging, author of the best-selling book, Ignite Your Property Mojo, Naomi Finlay. We'll learn how she went from being a radiologist traveling around the world to becoming a celebrity renovator teaching how to make money from renovating and much, much more. Naomi Finlay is Australia's renovation royalty and has co-hosted Channel 9's series Location Lifestyle Living and is an interior design expert on Channel 10's The Home Team. She shares with us another great achievement beyond the media. My biggest achievement is I'm a, a mother of four beautiful children. I run my own businesses where I get to help people all around the world Um, either creating their own amazing renovations or teaching them how they can do it. Um, They're probably the two big passions in my life is my family and and the fact that I get to help people. Each day for Finlay, a packed doing what she loves most, teaching others achieve great results and creating new projects. My days are full um, with teaching. So I teach into the renovation space when people are wanting to create wealth renovating. I also teach into the property styling space for people that are wanting to um, start businesses or um, earn an income through the property styling industry. So my days are spent running events, um, mentoring, creating um, tutorials and working with people basically so they can do what they love and earn income as well as naturally my own um, amazing projects that I get to work on either with clients or ones for myself. Um, At the moment, there's a big focus on our new show, which we're about to start filming, um, which is called Farms to Fortune. And it is all about empowering everyday Australians that are all around our country, in fact, in the heart of our country. And so I am really blessed at the moment. She also shares information about her inspiration towards creating her new show. I'm traditionally, I'm not a metropolitan girl, I'm a country girl. Um, I love the country and I've always had this dream of having a homestead or having a home in the country and really uncovering its story, telling its story, inviting people into its story and 
um, this all evolved, it was towards the end of last year where I came up with the idea for this show and it's about the fact that so many, you know, so many of the people on our land um, and it doesn't even have to be someone who is, you know, a primary producer, but in regional and rural Australia are doing it really tough. And I think that there's there's certainly great evidence to say that they um, sometimes can't see the beauty that all us outsiders see in their properties and their outhouses and their farms and their CWA halls in the main street and all of the amazing buildings around them. And it's not only about seeing the beauty in the buildings, it's about uncovering the hidden gems from a renovation and design perspective, but also from a cash flow perspective, helping and empowering people to uncover the hidden cash flows, the hidden income streams, the endless possibilities that surround them in those properties. And that's effectively what Farms to Fortune is all about. It's about heading into the heart of our country and helping everyday Aussies uncover through renovation design and a little sprinkle of magic the hidden treasure that they are sitting on or all around them. Non-town dweller, Finlay resides by a lake, spending her days living a normal, healthy life. I grew up out in the lake at Lake Macquarie, so I've always been a non-town dweller, as you would say. We call them townies in Newcastle. I grew up out in the lake. I went to school on a beautiful grassy knoll that overlooked Lake Macquarie. Um, You know, I was very blessed in my upbringing. I had a really normal, everyday, average, boring upbringing blue-collar working parents, worked hard, played sport, went to school, really nothing notable except the amazing place that I lived. I love Lake Macquarie. It's such a beautiful location still to today as well. Oh my gosh. It is. It is just, it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Don't tell too many people about it. Finlay not only got to study in her home area, she got to travel to different parts of the world for her work. I went through high school there. I then um, went to the University of Newcastle where I studied medical radiation science. Um, I worked for a little while in Newcastle and then eventually headed overseas. I was overseas for nearly four years, um, working mainly um, all around England, Scotland and Ireland and travelling the world, to be honest with you. I was very lucky. There's not many continents I haven't been to um, and there was something amazing about traveling as a a solo female. It was empowering and exciting and just met so many amazing people and um, also getting to work all around around the UK. Um, I never did the the London thing. Um, Again, to see, it was a town. Couldn't do the London thing. Had to just do the the country um, thing. And, um, yeah, and so it was amazing. I then um, came home. Uh, I got married. I went back into the health service here over in Australia um, and I worked there whilst I had my first two children and started studying my PhD. So I did my PhD in education and medical science. Um, During that time, I then started um, teaching at university and eventually had my um, third baby whilst I was a senior lecturer at our local university. So I kind of went all around the world and came back. The lessons she learned in traveling around the world changed the way she thinks about life after personally experiencing each country. One of my favorite cities is Prague. Um, One of my favorite countries would be Turkey and maybe Costa Rica. 
Um, one of the most amazing continents, I would say, would from a transformative perspective, would be Africa. Um, my time in Africa was very transformative. Um, one of the most diverse trips I did was I flew into Panama and flew out of LA and I went overland um, all the way through Central America, um, which was that that was one of the most diverse trips for quite a small amount of land. Um, and it, you know, it's the skinny bit that connects North and South America. Um, the diversity of culture and history in that really small region, that was quite, quite profound. Um, so yeah, just so many different lessons and I think different perspectives. You know, I certainly, um, my perspective on life from, from working in oncology, so I specialise in radiation oncology, from working in radiation oncology for, you know, nearly 15 years and getting to travel to such amazing remote places, it certainly, you know, it certainly allowed for me to have very different perspective on life to if I had stayed. Finlay felt blessed having moved from place to place in the UK. That was like a dream come true for her. I wish I could recreate this in my own business. Well, maybe I can. I would, you know, I would work for a month, travel for six weeks, work for three months, travel for six months. So when I travel, so, and each time I went back to work, it was in a different location. And so I never, I never stayed in the one spot, which was amazing. So I got to, you know, I got to, when I, when I think about it, it was amazing. I, I, I lived in Cambridge, I lived in Bath, I lived in Oxford, I lived in Newcastle, I lived in Blackpool, I lived in Edinburgh, um, you know, I lived in Leeds. I got to live in the most outrageous places, um, you know, pedalling my bike through the streets of Cambridge um, with a basket on the front, you know, and no helmet because that wasn't a thing back then in the UK, through the cobblestones late at night, you know, like it just... Gosh, now I think about it, it's kind of crazy. It's the stuff that dreams are made of. She was mainly working at larger hospitals and got to roam free at times, travelling around the UK. It was quite restrictive in that it was only in the larger hospitals, but, you know, the NHS um, over in the UK, there are large hospitals everywhere. It's very different to Australia. Um, and so I was, I did have the ability to to move around and, you know, that was great. It was great. Every time I... Every time I went back, obviously, I still had no idea what they were saying because it was, you know, going from very different accents, a Scouse to a Geordie to, you know, someone. Oh, I also lived in Brighton for ages, which was amazing as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just it was absolutely amazing. It was so great to have the flexibility and it was it was fantastic as a young'un. It was fantastic that what I'd studied um, at university actually allowed me to do that. Like that was that was crazy cool. At times, Finlay likes to reflect back to the adventures she had while traveling and telling her stories to her children. And it's funny; it's only when someone that's known me back then, they'll often, um, you know, my eldest has just turned sixteen, and say they're having a conversation, and you know, it might be um, one of my closest friends has known me that entire time, and I travelled for a little while before she went away and travelled and she'll sort of say to one of my ki- in front of one of my children, hey, do you remember when? And she'll say it out loud and it's not something inappropriate, it's just something that my children are like, no way, as if you do that, mum. And, and I'd be like, oh, I did, didn't I? You know, or do you remember when you like flew into Kenya and just had a backpack? And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I remember that. 
Um, so it's kind of it's I don't I don't often sit and reflect upon it to be honest with you. It's making me smile. I'm sitting in my big armchair having a, a jolly good smile. Finlay and her friend both have their own wild stories. They say they won't tell her kids until they are much older. One of my good friends who I, I met actually when I was over there traveling, I was talking to her yesterday and um and she she too knows all my stories. Um and she has her own raft of stories. And we were talking about our eldest, both of our eldest are 16. And and I said, you know, and my 16-year-old made a poor choice about something. And I said, you know, I can't be that harsh on him because he knows I've made that poor choice previously. And she said to me, are you crazy? What were you thinking? I'm not telling my daughter anything. And I'm like, yeah, no, I've I've shared. Um, so, so, yeah, she's like, no, no, I'm waiting until she's at least 30 to share those stories. Um, so... So, yes, I, I do share some, not all of them with them. Her kids are always interested in where she's been. Sometimes they think it looks like a movie set. I know um, one of my kids saw a photo of me at, at the fairy chimneys in Cappadocia in Turkey and they were like, is that from Star Wars? I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. Um, but, no, it's not the moon. It's actually the world. Um, so it's it's good. It's good for them to – or they'll, they'll see um, – you know, um, the Monaco Grand Prix, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've had a coffee in that shop outside that casino. And they're like, no, you have not. I'm like, yeah, I have. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. While starting to get her PhD, Finlay was pregnant with her second child and shares with us a funny moment during that time. I continued to work in that space clinically, so in the health profession, um, until I think I was 27. And then I, and I'd already started my PhD. I had two, I had my second, um, actually, until I was 30. I had my second baby when I was 30. And it was just after that, that I moved over to the university and started lecturing in, in the same space. Um, and then I completed my PhD. Um, and I remember carrying, you know, it's really traditional, like, the university system is still very traditional, or it was then, which wasn't that long ago. It was only, you know, 13, 14 years ago. Um, and I remember carrying, because um, you had to submit hard copies of your PhD naturally, and they had to be bound and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I remember carrying a pile of them over to the chancellery to submit. Um, and I was, I think, 39 weeks pregnant with my third baby. And so I balanced them on top of my stomach. Um, which was funny. Um, so that, that's my fond memory of my PhD, submitting it, kind of balancing these big tombs of five years of my brain um, on my stomach. Finlay had always enjoyed teaching. She started getting fascinated in becoming a lecturer when she experienced her first time teaching a group of young adults when she was only 30 years old. I think I have an issue with always wanting to learn. Um, and so I didn't ever grow up wanting to be a professor or a doctor or I didn't ever want to you know I didn't grow up going I'm going to complete my PhD but I was always saying what's next what's next what's next how can I learn more know more do more you know there was always a what's next um, and I have always adored teaching um, so I never imagined because you know when you're studying at uni you look at those lecturers with big pie eyes going they know so much they're so amazing you don't ever imagine that you'll be one um you know and I remember when I became a senior lecturer I was like I'm too young like I can't call me senior like that feels weird 
um, because I think I was probably 30 when I, it was just after I got my PhD back that I became a senior lecturer and and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh. So I don't, I didn't ever have like a childhood I want to be that, but it certainly um, wet my appetite for the impact of amazing leadership and great teachers in people's lives without doubt. That's where I first saw, you know, when you're teaching, I was teaching a group of, well, they weren't kids, so young adults. They were, you know, 18 to 21. I was teaching them how they were going to care for people who were battling cancer. And for me, that was a very, you know, big responsibility role, like not only from a technical perspective, but for as humans, um, how they needed to present in that space and how they needed to be in that space and that was one of the first times I think that I maybe got that taste for um, wow they get it or seeing that transformation or seeing that um, the pennies drop and seeing their relation as they see what they can then do to help others I think that that was probably where I first got that 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 buzz that drug um, was probably in the university system her passion for radiation oncology is what drove her to help others and keep it going, making sure that her students never lost touch of what was important. It was a very um, science-based um, profession being in radiation oncology. Um, for me, I saw it as a, it's so important to make sure that there are humans in it as well, like they can be as epically accurate and amazing from a clinical perspective, but I wanted to create caring humans as well. Um, and make sure that they didn't lose that side of it because it can be very easy in the system to lose that side of it. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Finlay's journey and how she got started in property. After baby number two, I did my first reno on my own place and that was the starting point. Um, and then it was um, property, um, I'd buy some properties, I'd renovate them to lease them. The lows she experienced before she made a realization. It was just one of those horror stories that you literally see on TV. Corrupt builder, um, delivered the properties three and a half years post the date they were meant to, right as it all went to pot in central Queensland. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Finlay's mother and father had a big influence on her from a young age, which gave her the belief that anything was possible. My dad was a mechanic by trade and my mum was an administrator by trade. Um, and they, you know, my mum was a really traditional mum. She had my brother, they, you know, they got married at 18. My brother was born at 19. I was born at 21, you know, really, really traditional 70s family. Um, Very much had a hardy flank house. Um, Dad mowed the lawn every Saturday. Um, My parents both had epic influences on me in that, my dad believes that he um, can physically do anything um, and I absolutely have that. So, you know, he'll be, you know, he'll be like, oh, the gutter needs fixing. I can do that. Oh, the, we need new stormwater. I can do that. And I did a lot of that with dad. Dad was, um, and it's funny, one of my personality traits in all these different ways that you can, you know, quantify your personality is that I'm a mechanic. So I, my brain works as a mechanic 
that it understands how to pull things down and it understands how to rebuild things better, um, which is kind of hilarious given my dad was a mechanic, literally. Um, and so I got that from him. I even, we recently, for the Renault show, we've got a new season launching soon um, of the Renault show, and I actually asked dad to come and do some of the work with me because I love working with my dad. He's like 70-something now, um, but he's just great because we'll be standing there. It's so funny watching the footage back. We'll both be standing there like two old men, like me old man one, him old man two, you know, with our, our shirts hanging out, like squinting, trying to problem solve whatever it is we're looking at. And then I was watching the footage, then all of a sudden we both start moving and it cracks me up. And every now and then I see him do a real dad thing where I'll go to pick up something and he'll obviously think it's too heavy for me. So plus 70, he'll go, no, no, and he'll pick it up, which I didn't notice at the time. But when I was looking back at the footage, it was really, really cute. So I think he's had a massive, I think he's had a massive influence on me from that perspective. I think of things really practically and I don't believe that something can't be done. We can work out how to, you know, we can work out how to do that. Um, you know, it's very much that attitude. And I think my mum had a big influence on me in the sense of um, she... I don't think she believed this of herself, but she definitely uh, instilled it in myself and my brother that we could achieve anything, anything, if we put the work in and we believed. That was very much her party line. As long as you put the work in and you believed, there was nothing that was off the cards at all. Philae shares how she started up her own business while she was teaching at the university. I actually studied design whilst I was doing my PhD. And then when I was doing my PhD and working full-time at the uni, I actually, um, I actually started up my own design business. So I was working at nights and on weekends as well as um, during the day as a lecturer. While she was constantly studying throughout her career, there was a turning point where she made a life-changing decision. When it fills your boots, when you're passionate about it, you have an insatiable amount of energy to be able to complete it. Like a, it wasn't work. It was like a dream because I was, I had an instrumental moment in my life and I've spoken about it once or twice before and I don't want any careers advisors or any teachers to take offence. But I was, um, you know, I was very artistic at school. I did woodwork, tech drawing, art, physics, high-end English, chemistry kind of thing and I was starting year 11. And I remember my, um, I remember his name, but I won't say it. I remember my careers advisor said to me, Naomi, clever girls like you don't do those subjects. And so that was the turning point in life. I stopped art. I stopped tech drawing. I stopped um, woodwork. And I did, you know, four unit maths, advanced physics, advanced chemistry, um, advanced English and, and, you know, and that's when I ended up on this scientific track that I stayed on for a really long time. But what was happening is I noticed that not only did I always want to learn in my existing career, um, I always wanted to learn something creative. So I studied, I studied photography when I lived overseas um, so I, I went down to London for like a year. Um, I'd catch the train down and study photography. And so I was constantly trying to study something that was creative. And so similarly, I started studying design when I was, you know, doing my, my scientific PhD. And then eventually the hankering just got way too much. 
And so then I started my, my own business and I ran them side by side until um, I do remember the moment I was pregnant with my fourth child um, and I was probably only about 30 weeks pregnant. I remember coming home one night and sitting on the doormat outside the front door and crying and my husband came out going, what What are you doing? Have your water's broken? What's going on? And I was just like, no, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't um, give as much as I want to give to both worlds um, anymore. And, and that's when I made the decision to take extended leave um, from the uni and go full-time into my business. Finlay started out with renovating the properties she bought before she made the decision to go off on her own. It was actually just before I started design that I did my first renovation. So after baby number two, I did my first reno on my own place and that was the starting point. Um, And then it was um, property, um, I'd buy some properties, I'd renovate them to lease them um, and then eventually once I'd got enough growth out of them, I would um, liquidate them. Um, So we've had all different strategies in our portfolio over the past you know, over the past sort of 14 years, all different strategies. Um, And that's when it was really, so I'd started on some of my own stuff. And then once I made the big decision to leave the university, that's when I really started to hit volume, um, not only with my own, but with other people's renovations as well. The home she first renovated was on a budget and she explains what she did. It was really unexciting. (laughs) <laughs> on reflection, um, it was a brick and tile home, an original kind of A.B. Jennings rectangle box, you know, um, with the traditional living room at the front, L-shaped dining that wrapped around the kitchen. It had a Queensland room. Do you remember the metal and mesh Queensland rooms off the back? Um, and, you know, I'd come back from um, overseas and what would have cost, you know, I came back in 2001, so what would have cost, I don't know, what would have cost, you know, 60 grand before I leave cost 200,000 when I get home, you know, so I was like, oh my gosh, this is outrageous because the market had just gone mental while I was away and um, so it was quite interesting and so I literally did everything on a budget. The only thing I didn't do myself um, was the tiling and the waterproofing in the bathroom. Um, so we did new bathroom, full new bathroom. I did cosmetic reno on the kitchen, um, a cosmetic reno. I learned to spray paint there. I learned to screen there. I learned to build um, drainage because it had massive water issues. I learned to build retainer walls. Um, you know, it was where I truly cut. I learned to pave there. I learned to use a whacker packer. I love a good whacker packer. Um, so, you know, a whacker packer, you know where you have to um, you have to bed down your road base before you pave. Um, you know, all those sorts of outrageous things. I learned everything. I learned so much there. Finlay and her husband decided to invest in central Queensland to expand their portfolio and see where it could take them. When I was um, pregnant with one of the babies, my husband decided he wanted to turn his hand to some investing. And I'm like, sure, I don't have capacity right now. You know, um, go for it. Let me know what you've got on the boil. And so we invested in um, central Queensland in an off-the-plan 
um, to look at it on paper, all should have been perfect. So this is the lowest of the lows, really. I've never told this story before. It's a very good question you've asked. Um, and so off the plan, should have been perfect, never had intention to sell it. It's when properties were renting for like, you know, 2000 a week up in central Queensland. Um, you know, it was at that time we'd done all the research, all the due diligence. We knew that the market had like another three or four years at minimum left in it. So once we'd, um, once the property was built, um, we would have kept it for maybe six months, if that, and then sold it on. Um, and that would have been because I'm a massive believer in sweet, small fish. I'm not a believer in, you know, holding out at high risk for big sharks um, as paydays. You know, I love sweet, small, safe fish. Um, and that's how I've made, um, you know, my money in property previously. And um, and the it was just one of those horror stories that you literally see on TV. Corrupt builder um, delivered the properties three and a half years post the date they were meant to, right as it all went to pot in central Queensland. So not only did the property, because of the three and a half year delay, take you know not only did it then cost twice because of holding costs. Um, with no return because there was no one in it. But when it was delivered to us, it was actually worth a fifth of what it owed us. Oh, that is painful. There you go. The low of the low. That is it. And nothing you can do. Build a liquidated, nothing you can do. And there were there were 20 other people in the identical boat. Real, and some people weren't in our financial position that, We've weathered that storm. There's no loss until you sell. You know, we've weathered that storm now for a really quite a long time um, and it's been fine with our, the way we'd structured it and all of that. But sadly, there were some people caught up in that that lost everything they had. And that that's really quite distressing. makes me very passionate about, um, you know, about the issue and it makes me very passionate about, and you know what? Maybe the universe delivered that to me because I take what I do in teaching people to create money, renovating. I take that responsibility very, very seriously. Finlay still has the property to this day and was able to hang on for at least one cycle, though she shares it wasn't the same for others. So, but you know, not everyone was not you know everyone structures their investments very differently, um, and not everyone. You know, there were times when that property was empty. There were times when the rent was $50 a week. There were times, you know, and so it has been a really interesting journey watching the cycle, watching the industry up there, watching what's happening up there. Um, and it's, you know, for some people, it, it would have been soul destroying and, you know, people lost their houses, their, their residences um, over that. Um, but it's it's very, very difficult because in that circumstance, once the builder, you know, shut up shop, there's there was nothing that anyone could kind of call him back on. There was no money to claim. She was able to take away an important lesson from the ordeal. I'm not going to say, and the obvious thing is for a laugh, don't let your husband invest. But I'm, that's, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I guess it is actually, to be honest with you, it is in all of our scenarios of how it could have played out, all of our exit strategies, 
every possible one we imagined for it because it wasn't gone into blindly, you know, um, and it wasn't gone into because obviously with high return, there's obviously high risk. It wasn't gone into with blinkers on in any way, although it was some, quite some time ago. Um, there, there, there are some, you couldn't have written this story, like you could not have catastrophized this eventuality, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think um, I'm not sure what my lesson in it is. I think uh, patience, calmness, because sometimes you do need patience in the industry. Patience and calmness, um, I think, is a really good one. Um, and I think the bigger lesson was probably for my husband about being the squeakier wheel earlier on. Um, you know, I think he has maybe sometimes where because he was across the build and um, it wasn't something that I was dealing with because it was a, cho- a specific choice that I'd made. Um, I think that he probably wishes that um, maybe he was more proactive in that process and less trusting, which is probably not a lesson that I would want to take for him from it. I don't, you know, I my world runs on trust. Finland knows what her main purpose is in life and she shares what she believes in. I'm a massive believer that um, we're all delivered to this world and this lifetime for reasons and um, one of mine, I believe, is to um, teach, to inspire and to beautify and um, I believe that all of those things happen over time and I think that who I am today has happened over time as well. I'm um, just like good design, just like good planning. Um, I think it's happened over time. I think there have just been little incidences and little tweaks that have, you know, led me to different decisions to guide me to where I am today. After getting course and talking to a friend, it helped her realise what she could do with her talent. I think for me, when it turned from design to design renovation was when I realised that I think I'm born part tradie um, in that I feel much more comfortable sitting with tradies than I do in sitting in an architect's firm and that the mechanic brain that I have actually works really well with our amazing trades Um, because instead of just going, oh my gosh, I want a window that's like this, I'll say, hey, I have an idea will this work, you know? And so I fitted in really well with that sort of trade side of things and I found it meant that I was able to get, um, I was able to get away with much more of what I wanted because I worked with trades um, rather than them work for me um, and and that translated in the world of clients as well um, because, you know, trades would get a job with a client and they'd go, hey, you need to work with this designer um, because they knew that I'd be that really good conduit between um, between the client and them. Um, so I think there was um, my happy space is on a work site or on a stage teaching, one or the other. Um, I, I literally do little happy dances um, anytime I'm on a work site and anytime I'm on stage teaching. Um, so I think it was probably three years into my design world that um, I, I got inundated with people going, we want to do what you do, can you teach us? And that was probably a point where I was having a coffee with a lovely name, lady named Lenore Miller. Um, I was having a coffee with her in Hamilton in Newcastle 
And I said, I'm getting all these phone calls. And she said, well, you do have a PhD in medical science and education and you are a university lecturer. There might be something in that. And that was probably it. And I went, really? And she went, really? And there you go. That's it. Now that I've talked it out, that was the turning point where I went, I can go from from simply designing and renovating myself um, and for clients to I can actually help others. So, inspired by Naomi Finlay's journey, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode where we'll discuss the strategy on how to create a successful project. Inside the app, it will actually, for room by room, it will give you not only things that you need to think of, but it will give you some current Australian-based pricing for them at three different price points. The personal habits which have been contributing to her success. I was able to do it for myself um, and that um, I could also do it for them. Um, which I think was the big thing, that I had the team, I had the strategy and I knew how to identify that sweet spot of exactly what the market needed and deliver it to them. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.